listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. The Gospel of the Lord. Good afternoon and welcome. I greet you with the greeting of St. Francis. May the Lord give you peace. Amen. Amen. It's a little rainy out there today, huh? I mean, it could be snow, so all right. Um, There's a funny prayer that happens here at the shrine. I'm always praying for snow, and then all our team that plow, they're always praying for no snow. So poor God can't win, you know, like somebody's going to be unhappy. All right. And so, uh, friends, we're here. It's, it's, it's the first Sunday of Advent that has begun. We've got the, the wreath and the whole thing. And um, I don't know if you're ready to sing along with me here. We're going to sing in the beginning. It's beginning to look a lot like... Wrong! All the, all the uptight priests this, today at churches are like, It's not Christmas! It's not Christmas! It's Advent! But Christmas is almost here, okay. <laughs> and keep in mind, St. Francis is the saint who had the idea of building the Christmas creche back in the 1200s. He had the idea, this little town of Greccio, and they had the real animals and the hay, and, the, and they put the altar right in the middle of it, and they had midnight mass out with all, and miracles happened. And so it's just in the blood of the Franciscans. We love Christmas. We love Christmas. We love Christmas. And so um, here we are. It's not Christmas yet. It's Advent. But Advent is also a very special and beautiful season. And so many good things are going to happen in this season of Advent. We're going to be praying with some of the prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled as the Messiah, as the Savior when he comes. And um, the liturgy of the church gives it to us right off. The gospel today is kind of short and to the point, right? Jesus gives us that message. Watch, watch, you know, spiritual alertness. And then in that first reading, the prophet Isaiah, so we're in chapter 63 into 64, and there's a, a line in this reading that is the Advent prayer par excellence. I absolutely love it. I'm going to repeat it. Isaiah prays, Oh that you would rend the heavens and come down. That prayer to God, come. The word Advent is from the Latin, come, come Lord Jesus. Um, That prayer, asking God to come, don't just stay there aloof in some far off heaven, sitting upon your starry throne, looking down upon us. No, come, like come and be with us. How would we ever dare to ask for that? And it's complemented so well with the responsorial psalm. And this is really the point of the homily today. O Lord, make us turn to you. And then we say the exact same thing, but in different words. Let us see your face. Let us see your face. 
Um, I'm going to talk about what that line means. It's so funny. I had a mass in a parish this morning down the road, and um, they did a different psalm. And I'm like, wait, you know, I, I'm preaching on the psalm here. We, let's stick with the program. Okay, <laughs> let us see your face. What, in what way would we as creatures get the idea to say this to God, that we want to see your face? And it's an interesting thing, huh? Um, that we as finite limited creatures this is what we are we're finite limited creatures and yet in the truest part of our heart we discover we possess an infinite desire how did that happen you know we want to live forever and we want to see god we want to see god and how is this because god made us that way why did he do that all right a little story to explain what's happening here so I think you're somewhat aware, I love Christmas, I love the whole thing. And if you look around, you'll notice it's already started, even maybe before Thanksgiving, some people started decorating, have you noticed? You drive around, there's all these decorations, and it really, it just gives you the good feels, right? You know, it's like, oh, the Christmas lights, and the, and then, um, so we're kind of praying about doing something that we've never done before. And so um, you're, you're getting some inside information here, okay? Here at Our Lady's Shrine, Brother Pius and I and our team, we've been praying and we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us inspirations. And so we're getting ready to do an outdoor decoration here at the shrine. And um, it's I'm calling it the big, beautiful, crazy Christmas. And it's like, oh my goodness, what is happening? And as I've been driving around and we see all the decorations you know, on, on the one hand, it feels good, it's beautiful, it's inspiring, it's like, oh, we're getting in that mood for the holidays. But um, but it seems like there's there's a little something that can get, it easily gets off track. And so when we have our display up, we're hoping to have it ready for December 17th, it'll be in the evenings, and you come onto the property, you're going to go on a journey, there's going to be a story, and it is the story of the Advent season. So you come onto the property, and we are going to have all of those Christmas things. You know, you're going to see um, snowmen, and you're going to see Santa Claus. Stop looking at me like that, okay? I know. <laughs> there may be a certain resemblance with Santa Claus, okay? <laughs> and um, whatever, reindeer, like all this stuff, you know, and, and it's kind of fun and everything. And then we're going to have something that you've never seen before here at Our Lady Shrine. For over a year now, I've been joking, we need to get an alligator in the pond here. <laughs> so we will have a 10-foot-long Christmas crock. <laughs> the Christmas crocodile. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's happening, it's happening. Um, and we'll have a sign that says, Christmas crock knows if you've been good or not. <laughs> he eats the presents of naughty children. <laughs> and in his mouth, there are these presents... And we're going to have a sign that says, drop the presents here. You know, like, you got to have that, right? You know, like, um, and so it's going to be, you know, lighthearted and, and kind of fun and silly. And then, and then there's going to be a movement. And, and it'll say, you know, sometimes it, the world is puffed up and yet empty. And that so many of these things actually have nothing to do with Christmas. And then we transition and you're going to see that quote from the psalm, as the deer thirsts for living water, so my soul is thirsting for God. And you're going to see a field that looks like stars, 
and a river of living water with all these little deer drinking from the water. This expression, you know, that the world leaves us still thirsty, unsatisfied. Like, to get in touch with that part of our heart that says, would that you would come down. I want to see your face. I want to be in your presence, O oh God. We want to just tap right into that. And then it, here's the twist. Here's the thing that nobody saw coming. God thirsts for us. And that's why he sends his son as the savior. That God wants to see our face. God wants to be in our presence. And that's why he comes. That's why he comes. That our thirst, why do we thirst for God? He put that in us because he wants, he thirsts for us. You know, we have a desire to be in his presence and to see his face. And he has a desire to be in our presence and to see our face. This is a love story. And so then we'll transition and it'll be the whole thing. By the time you get to the parking lot, it's the it's Bethlehem, it's the manger, it's the baby. And you know, in the Old Testament, when they had all of these prayers about let us see your face, for the people of the time, it kind of was like a metaphor because God is so other. But then when you get to Bethlehem, you realize, huh, it's not actually a metaphor after all. God does have a face. It's the face of this baby, Jesus. The face of God in Jesus. And this is what we long to see. And this is the fulfillment of what God had in mind all along. This was his plan all along. That's going to be the topic of the holy hour after Mass today. And so it's beautiful. And so in this context, we hear Jesus giving us this word to watch, to be alert. And I think we need that word now more than ever before. What is he telling us to watch for? He's, he's telling us to be careful, to not get distracted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, to distract us away from what we truly want. And that is a danger more now than ever before. You know, this is the trick of the devil. If he can get us focused on other things and distracted from that truest part of our own heart, that part of us, the prayers, the music, the traditions, the whole thing, let us allow this season to give us the opportunity to reconnect with that part of our heart that longs for God. We long to see his face. We long to be in his presence. And so we pray, come, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us prepare for the coming of our King. Amen. Amen. In today's Holy Mass, Gospel of Mark, Jesus gives us a very important message. He says to his disciples, be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, you do not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. Wow, that is an amazing passage. So beautiful. And so... In response to that, we thought we would have these little holy hours right after Mass 
the next three Sundays of Advent. There's another time when Jesus will say this message at the uh, agony in the garden. Could you not stay awake for one hour and, and spend time with me? Watch. He uses the word watch. And um, in my homily, kind of the main point is that the world, the flesh and the devil, has a way of distracting us from watching for the Lord. Distracting us. We're watching, but we're watching other things. <laughs> the, uh, the TV, the phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and in some ways, we feel like Eucharistic adoration is such a, a medicine, such a remedy for modern people who we have such a hard time staying focused. We have a hard time sitting still. We have a hard time being in silence. We're growing up in a culture of a formation of noise, 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 and more noise, distractions, restlessness, constant movement, constant, you know, this is certainly a, an issue in modern living, huh? All of our technology and all the advancements we've made, sometimes you wonder, huh? Sometimes you wonder. So we have the presence of Jesus Truly present. He's here. Not a sign, not a symbol. That's what statues are. Statues are signs and symbols. They're holy reminders. But no, something different here on the altar. The true presence of Jesus. This is not a statue that reminds us, which are, those are fine. This is really Jesus. Come, come over here so you can see Jesus. The true presence. The mysterious presence. My friends, there's a connection here. Maybe you've heard before. If so, forgive me. But we always need reminders. Jesus is born in a town called Bethlehem. That's a Hebrew word which means house of bread. Bethlehem. House of bread. There's no coincidence that he's born there. That was part of God's plan. It was even prophesied. Remember when the Magi come from the east and they show up in Jerusalem to speak to King Herod. We've seen the star of the, the birth of the new king. Where is he? And Herod has to consult with the scribes and the, the theologians. And there's that famous quote from the prophet, he shall be born in Bethlehem. That's why they head off towards Bethlehem. It's a Hebrew word which means house of bread. And in this area, it was a little village it was a suburb of Jerusalem, and there were two things in this area, one of which was wheat fields. They were growing the wheat. That would have been the bread that would have been used at Passover in Jerusalem every year. The wheat came from this area, and this is where the lambs were. Think of King David of Bethlehem. He was a shepherd. There were lambs. Those lambs in this area were being raised for the Passover sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. There was no coincidence, there was no mistake that Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. Jesus, who is the bread of life. There's no mistake that he's born in an animal stable where all the other lambs would have been born. There would have been many lambs born in that cave. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. See? Do you know how I like to describe this thing? I describe it this way. 
Are you ready? God had a plan. God had a plan. What we see before us here, his true presence in the Eucharist is the fulfillment of that plan. Jesus is here mysteriously, the bread, the bread of life. What did he say in John chapter 6? My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life and I will raise you up on the last day. The new bread, the new manna, this food that we're given by God to sustain us on the journey of life. Another way of saying that is this. God had a plan. The prophecies, the season of Advent, we're going to be looking at prophecies. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies. It's amazing. I love the season of Advent. It feels like a Bible study. We're going to hit all of those important passages, the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. Jesus didn't just fulfill some of them. He fulfilled all of them. How did he do that? It's there's only one answer to that question, and it's this. God had a plan. God had a plan. It's beautiful. God had a plan. But let's back it up just a little bit more. You know that creation, the universe, planet Earth, the whole thing, creation had a beginning Creation is not eternal. It's been revealed to us by God that there was a time when creation started to happen. Before then, there was no creation. It was just God, the one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at some point, he decided to create creation. And uh, in the Latin phrase, they say ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. He didn't take pre-existent matter and then fashion it into the universe. He created it out of nothing. Why did he create? Well, you could say, well, maybe God was lonely. So he had the idea, let me create some creatures so I'm not so lonely. That's a heresy. God, before creation, was perfect, lacking in nothing. He had no need. There was no necessity. And yet... In the mystery of the eternal wisdom of God, there was a decision to create, to create creation, to create creatures. Why would he do that? It's not because he was lonely. It's not because he was lacking something. It was not because there was some necessity that was burdening him. The reason why he created anything is because, are you ready for this? God had a plan. Right, you're picking up on the message here, you know. And then in the midst of that good creation, he, he had the idea of creating angels and human beings who are made in his image and likeness with persons. The gift of intellect and will, free will. So he didn't create a batch of robots that would fulfill the program, but free creatures capable of loving Why did he do this? It's because he had a plan. He had a plan. All along, he had a plan. If you do a word study on the catechism of the Catholic Church, you'll see that the idea that God had a plan 
is all over the whole catechism. It's so good. You know, it's so good. It, it feels like the thread that ties together this whole thing we call history. <laughs> and it is that God had a plan. God had a plan. And so the season of Advent, in, in a beautiful way, in a short couple of weeks, it kind of brings us through the highlights of that plan, salvation history, including the prophecies. And then it comes to a head, it comes to fulfillment, it comes to a climax, the arrival of Jesus, who's not only just a savior or a messiah, he's not just a king, he's not just a prophet, he's not just, you know, a holy person. It turns out he's something that nobody expected, and that is, he is God. God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the eternal word, the eternal son, takes on human flesh, human nature. That's above and beyond anything we would have ever guessed. But why would he do that? I'm waiting for you to answer. God had a plan. He had a plan. This was his plan. To be with us, to save us, certainly to save us. But... Um, let us not just stop at salvation. Let's continue forward. What comes after salvation? What comes after the forgiveness of sin, reconciliation, the restoration of right relationship with God? What comes after? Are you ready for this? Communion. Communion. God had a plan to welcome us into communion with himself a relationship, a union. How can a creature be united with a creator? There is a sense in which we could say that's impossible. The distance between the creator and the creature is an infinite distance. It's not even a big distance. It's an infinite distance. The difference between God and the best of all creatures. There's no comparison. Imagine yourself compared to an amoeba. An amoeba is one of the smallest living organisms in creation. Is that right? Single cell organism. Brother Pius is my um, Wikipedia. <laughs> the difference between you and an amoeba isn't, you know, is not so big compared to the difference between the creator and the creatures. So how can we be in union? How can we have communion with God? In uh, the language of the Bible, partakers of human of divine nature. He wanted to share something of his divinity with us. How can that happen for a creature? Well, it's because God had a plan. God had a plan. And um, so I just want to begin this holy hour to begin our Advent season by highlighting this, what you may call a mega theme or a meta theme or like the story, the big story, capital S, this is the story that God had a plan. And it's beautiful. And it's, it's shocking. And it's exhilarating. And it's frightening. It's mind-blowing. And it's so profound that human language fails to capture God's plan. And that's why he came in person didn't just send a messenger. He didn't just send a message. He didn't even just send a book. Here, read this. He comes in person, in the flesh. I once heard a priest give a talk about this, 
and he was trying to convince uh, Protestant Christians who don't really believe in the Eucharist, but they just they believe in the Word, the Bible. And the priest snatched an infant out of a mother's arms at church. He had a fax machine. He was trying to put the little baby into the fax machine. You know, it was so funny. It's like he didn't even just send us a message or a book. He sends us himself in the flesh, Jesus, true God and true man. Amazing, just amazing, God's plan. St. Paul would say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor can the mind even ponder what waits for those who have the love of God. It begins now, but it, it comes to fulfillment in eternity. We who are finite and limited creatures, oddly, we possess an infinite, unlimited desire. We, we long to live forever. That's not normal for creatures. Creatures die. We long to see God. We want to see his face. How is this possible? Well, it's not possible. So why do we want it so badly? It's because God put that desire into us. It's what he wanted to give us all along. He wasn't satisfied to just give us things. Think of how beautiful this earth is. That alone would have been a noble gift, the beauty of creation. That wasn't enough. He wanted to give us himself. God had a plan. God had a plan to give us himself. It's not just creation. It's not just salvation. It's not just healing, but it's communion. It's a union with God in and through Jesus. It begins now right here. And it comes to completion. It comes to fruition. It comes to its end in eternity. What does that even mean? I I kind of feel like I have no idea, but it's wonderful. The, the, the most wonderful thing I could conjure up and ask God for, he's giving us something even more than that, something we never would have dared to ask for because he had a plan. Friends, this is when life here, even in the midst of trials and sufferings, and this is when life here gets so good when you're, you're connected to that plan. So next Sunday... I'm going to give a talk at this holy hour. This talk today was called God Had a Plan. God Had a Plan. Next Sunday, God Has a Plan. First, you have to connect that God had a plan. And then from there, we learn God has a plan. So I thank you for listening. Um, Brother Pius is going to share a little bit with us. Then we're going to just have time for silence. Be, you know, in the presence of Jesus, a little moment of silence and prayer, at the end of which there'll be benediction. So thank you for staying and praying. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Beautiful. Thank you, Father Luke. Um, this season is so incredible. The season of Advent. Um, we had a, a men's retreat here. Next weekend we have a, a women's retreat. And one of the things I, I said to the men is, I feel like Advent is the season that's most like our life here on earth. Because it says that we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, right? That's, that's right from the Mass. And this season, even though it's penitential, right? Father wore purple, uh, purple vestments, you know, it's a penitential season, but it's a penitential season that's also touched with joy, with joy. 
And, you know, the, the beautiful reading from the prophet Isaiah today, twice Isaiah calls God our father, which is a really radical thing to say about God, actually. Other faiths who believe in one God, if you're to call him father, some of them find that to be blasphemy, that God is a father. And I think one of the words that struck me most from the gospel was Jesus's sort of end caps with what he said. Just like the prophet Isaiah, the end caps were sort of, you are our father, you are our father. You made us, we're, you're the potter, we're the clay, the work of your hands. And then Jesus starts and sort of finishes the gospel today with the phrase, watch, stay awake. And it brought to mind for me, um, if you've been around me enough, you know that some psychology will often make its way into my talks. And I was thinking about the idea of watching and how it relates for us as human beings. See, as children, as babies, we learn from our parents how to smile, how to react, the accent with which we talk. When we're children, we're constantly watching our mother and our father. And as I've, I've spoken before about attachment and what it means to be securely attached to a parent means that you feel safe enough to explore the world, right? When we don't have a safe environment in home, when there's, when there's chaos, when there's difficulty, darkness, when a parent, let's say, has so much going on that they can't do this thing which is called attunement. And it's sort of beautiful because it takes from the idea of a musical instrument. That if you're a guitar player or a drummer or whatever instrument you play, you have something that helps you find the note so that when you tune the guitar, if you want to play an E, it might be just a little flat or a little sharp, and so you have to tune it so that it matches what the authentic sound is. In the same way, when we're with people who love us, with people we admire, right? Children always, I, I think of, uh, you know, the classic conversation that little boys will have, my dad can beat up your dad, you know, or my mom's cooking is better than your mom's cooking, you know? We look up to our parents. You know, when we become teenagers, this sort of shifts a little bit, and we think we know everything better than our parents. And then usually when we become adults, we realize, well, actually, they kind of knew what was going on, typically, right? But as children especially, we tune into our parents. And the degree to which our parents tune into us, and we're sort of together, we're on the same note, that creates the space for healthy emotions, a healthy environment in which we grow up. And there are ways that we can be out of tune with each other, right? I know for new mothers, right, they're figuring out what the baby's cries all mean. Like, is the baby hungry? I try to feed the baby, and they're not eating. Okay, does the baby have a dirty diaper? You give a sniff. You know, does, does the, is the baby cold? 
What, is the baby tired? Do I need to rock the baby to sleep? It's, it's sort of figuring it out. But with a good parent, they get to the point very quickly. And I've seen this like at my sister's house. She has five kids. And she can tell the difference between a cry because the child is just being whiny and the cry when the baby really gets hurt, when the baby falls and gets hurt. And the mother especially, but the father too, they're able to sort of know, oh no, that's the, my baby's hurt cry, right? Oh, don't worry about it, you know? And for me, I'm not around a lot of crying babies. So like at first I'm like, oh my gosh, Shannon, aren't you worried that the baby's crying? No, don't worry, he'll fall asleep, it'll be fine. He's just fighting going to sleep right now, you know? What does that have to do with Advent? I think Advent in a particular way, and adoration especially, and time with God's Word, these ways of encountering the Lord, we become tuned into or attuned to God's heart. And time with Him, time in His presence, time listening to His Word, time around people who know Him really well, we're able to tell better and better, what gives him joy. And more importantly, by staring at the Eucharistic face of Jesus, by receiving the Blessed Sacrament into our hearts, hopefully we experience God attuning to us. God knowing the specific things and ways to reach us. The attentiveness to God, to the details about the things that make you and me happy, and happy in different ways. For example, you have key lime pie around Father Luke. It will disappear very quickly. And God knows, and people who care about Father Luke know, that if it's his birthday, what you want to get him it's the Cheesecake Factory Key Lime Pie Cheesecake. That's what you want to get him. You know, for me, Key Lime Pie Cheesecake is really good. Is it my favorite thing? No. For my dad, you want to get him the Cherry Chocolate Cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. It's incredible. It's like chocolatey and cherry and delicious. I like that one better than the Key Lime Pie Cheesecake, right? And all of us have these things about us that God knows. And because he loves us, because he's counted the hairs on our heads, it's fairly easy for him to do these days for me. Because he knows that, he's tuned in to us. And he's teaching us how to become attuned to him. Right? And the saints especially are the ones who know God's heart, who know God's desires, who know what makes the Lord happy and what breaks his heart. You know, it's, it's sort of like today, if you do uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, the prophet Isaiah, it's right at the beginning of the book of the prophet Isaiah, and in the beginning of the book, he says, God says to his people, why do you come and trample my courts with these sacrifices? You come and speak words to me, but your hearts are far from me. Right? We can think that we're tuning into God because we say 
our Father who art in heaven. But really, Jesus says, you can say, Lord, Lord, all you want. But if your heart is far away from me, it doesn't, doesn't mean as much. It would be like if I were to bring Father Luke a key lime cheesecake, but it's old and it's ratty and, you know, it flipped over a couple of times in the car on the way here and the whole thing's a mess. I think I'm giving him what he loves, but actually, I didn't check the expiration date and I didn't take care of it. And God wants us. Period. God wants us as ourselves. He wants us to tell him the things that we desire. He wants us to tell him the things that bring us joy and the things that bring us sadness. Not because he doesn't know, but because he loves our company. Father Luke said, God had a plan where in a, in a certain way, like God has changed us and God knows everything. But now there's a way where we can say that God has completely become tuned into, attuned to human nature. In fact, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, one of the earliest theologians in the church, he says that God took on humanity so that in a certain type of way, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, could become accustomed to dwelling so closely to man. God wants to know what our experience is like. So he comes and has all of our experiences. You having a bad day? I think Jesus had some bad days too. And not just the ones we hear about in scripture. I don't know, but I imagine working as a carpenter, especially as a young apprentice of St. Joseph, banged his finger a couple of times. You know, it may have been that he worked really hard on a project and somebody was like, I don't like the way you made this table. Start over, I'm not paying. People are jerks sometimes. People were jerks to Jesus all the time, even his apostles. And we can see in the life of Jesus, he's trying to reveal to us the Father's heart, isn't he? In fact, he says, St. Philip, he says, he who sees me sees the Father. And so he's trying to show us what the Father is like. And so when he says things like, I'm going to suffer and be crucified and rise on the third day, and immediately the disciples start talking about who the greatest of them is, it breaks his heart. Because he's trying to reveal this great mystery, and instead of getting it, the disciples don't. And they're more worried about themselves. And so this time of adoration that we have, it's a time for us to pray and to beg the Lord, now that he has rent the heavens and come down, and that he's revealed to us that he's the Father, our Creator, who made us, who knows every contour, not only of our body, but of our mind and of our heart and everything we've been through or will go through. He's been in it with us to tune into what the Lord has to say. As Father Luke put it so well, the world is full of distraction. Our phones 
you know, the little internet machines that most of us carry in our pockets, are an incredible means of distraction. There's an excellent book called Irresistible, and it's all about how there are these things called behavioral addictions, and where we can get addicted not just to the bad things that are on the internet, right? that's, that's one category of things, but even the addiction to scrolling Instagram or TikTok. I have a friend who put one of those uh, screen time apps on her phone to see how much time she was spending with different apps on her phone. She discovered that she was spending more than three hours a day just randomly scrolling through Instagram. And it's so funny, isn't it? You could say, I don't have time for prayer. But really, we make time for the things that are important to us. And there's nothing more important than tuning into what God says about you. Because the world gives us messages over and over and over again. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough athlete. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. I always hate those commercials for, around Christmas time for like a Mercedes Benz or a Lexus or something. And it's like, there's the, the inevitable commercial where like, you know, that the presents are all wrapped up and, and then all of a sudden, you know, inside a box, there's a pair of keys and they go out and there's a Lexus with a bow on top of it. Who in the world has enough money to get their loved one matching Lexuses? It's ridiculous. And if you do have that much money, I'm sure it can be better spent than on a luxury car. Not that having a luxury car is a bad thing if you do, right? But the reality is the world is sending us so many messages that just aren't true or are half-truths. And we sort of need to detox from the messages that we've been fed for our whole lives. Right? Because I'm not the biggest fan of LeBron James. I'm a Michael Jordan fan, and there's like the constant debates in basketball. Who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan? And the reality is, LeBron James has broken so many records in basketball. He's a phenomenal basketball player, but you know what? It still ticks him off when people compare him to Michael Jordan and whether he's better or not. You look at Tom Brady, whether or not you're a Tom Brady fan, right? Like, he has more Super Bowl rings than anybody. He still went for that last year in Tampa Bay. Because who knows, maybe he could win another one. That's six. Nobody else has six. Still not good enough. Michael Phelps, right? More Olympic medals than anybody. At his first Olympics, I think. Certainly by his second. But he went to like three or four. How many gold medals do you need to be enough? You know, um, Father Luke and I are, are fans of a, are definitely were fans before our conversion and certainly still appreciate the musicality of uh, a band like Metallica. And you know what's crazy? The original, one of the, the original guitarists for Metallica is a guy named Dave Mustaine. And this guy eventually was kicked out of the band Metallica and started another band called Megadeth. I don't necessarily recommend you go YouTubing these people, but you know what's crazy? 
For most of Dave Mustaine's career, all he was ever doing was comparing his success to that of Metallica. Now, Metallica is by far a more popular band. They've made more money, made more records, all this stuff. Dave Mustaine is probably a better guitarist than the guitarist who's currently in Metallica. He's probably in one of the most influential rock bands in the history of rock bands. He was constantly comparing himself to Metallica. And it's only recently that he was even able to reconcile to the band. This guy, if you did YouTube him, he had stadiums full of people singing the songs he wrote. How many fans are enough to be enough? How many albums that go platinum are enough to be enough? How much money do you have to make for it to be enough? Jeff Bezos has billions of dollars. Warren Buffett has billions of dollars, and they're still trying to make more money. Amazon is still trying to acquire other companies to make more money. How much is enough? Even if you're number one on the Fortune 500 list, you're not as rich as the Rothschild family was in their day or whatever, you know? The reality is that we're full of infinite desires. And we want affirmation from someone that says, no matter what you do, I've loved you anyway. No matter how successful or unsuccessful you are, you're perfect in my eyes. You're precious in my eyes. Maybe you're not perfect, but you're working on it. And you're precious. You're beautiful. You're enough. And if we tune in to that voice, then all of the other stuff, right? Whether or not you get what you ask for for Christmas, whether or not you can afford to buy a Lexus for your spouse, whether or not you're a Fortune 500 person or a person living in a tin-roofed shack in Haiti. You're enough. You're precious. You're infinitely valuable. And tuning into that voice cancels out all the other noise. We love the net, like earbuds now have like noise canceling. When the teenagers, when I was working in the Bronx, didn't want to listen, they would keep their earbuds in and say that they were off, but they actually put the noise canceling on. So I'd be giving a talk and it would be, <laughs> those kids taught me a lot about how I treat Jesus. How often do I come into the Lord's presence with my theoretical earbuds in, not ready to listen? Maybe not even aware that listening is an option that he has things to say about me which can cure the hurtful things that people said about us. How many people are still trying to fill the wound? Maybe it's a better question. Who of us is not trying to fill the wound, the void, the thing that somebody said about us 25 years ago that still hurts? still stings a little bit. I'll share with you one last thought about that, and then I'll give you some time to do what I'm talking about. 
I remember when I was a postulant, and we were down at the March for Life, and it was really cold. There was snow on the ground. And I had worn, it was either sneakers or boots. And I remember this woman coming up with her child, ignoring the fact that I could hear or see her. Either I was a novice or a postulant, either way, the woman knew I was a Franciscan. And she said to her child, in my presence, he's not a real Franciscan because he's not wearing sandals. And you know what? 18 years later, I'm still self-conscious if I'm not wearing sandals. Even though, for me, physically, I have a disability where my doctors have told me I need to wear things that support my feet and my ankles. I have, like, doctors telling me to do something, and I'm still self-conscious. We all have those things. But the reality is God wants you to hear what he has to say about you. And when we hear those things, our hearts become filled up with love. We become aware of who we are before him. And it doesn't matter what other people say. Because the only person whose opinion really matters is that all there is to say that we're enough, that he loves us, that nothing we can do will separate us from his love unless we decide to turn away from him. Let's open our hearts, let's open our ears to listen to his word, to receive the love that we've been hungering for, the love that we're made for. You've been listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars, the renewal. Please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media, CFR underscore Franciscans. Thank you.